As you're getting to the book of Exodus, just a couple of things we want to remind you about. Um, you'll notice the blue insert in your bulletin uh, listing different food items. We've begun our fall food drive, and there's just different items that are listed on there that you can bring in a shopping bag and put right to the side there in, the, in what we call the narthex. And I don't know if you saw the lettering that talks about that scriptural calling to provide for those in need. And the food that you bring in these next few weeks will benefit our own food pantry, where many people come on a daily basis to get a grocery bag of food and what a difference that makes in their lives. It will benefit the, the Orphanage in Mexico Miracle Ranch that we have an ongoing partnership with, as it will also help the stock their pantries. And then wider than that, the contributions you bring will also help Lutheran social services. In the larger network of Lutheran churches, your contributions will help to put food on the table for individuals, couples, families throughout the community. So I just want to encourage you to please be generous and responsive during this fall food drive. Also, I want to remind you that as we remember the North American Lutheran Church, the NALC, we do have a conference coming up in the beginning of October on evangelism and world mission at Red Hill Lutheran Church. The information's in the bulletin. If you want to know more about the denomination that we're a part of, would love for you to be a part of that. And the last thing I want to share with you is I have had the privilege uh, this weekend, starting on Thursday, to be a part of what we call Curcio, a Curcio pilgrimage. This is the men's weekend. The women's weekend is next week. We do have a pilgrim there. Uh, Christine's husband, Duncan, is one of our pilgrims at Curcio, and many of our members are working. And if you're not familiar with Curcio, Curcio is really an intensive weekend retreat in which uh, we seek to encourage and build up leaders in the church. And what's amazing about it is seeing Lutherans throughout Orange County come together of even different uh, versions of Lutheranism, Missouri Senate and NALC and ELCA, coming together in worship and in service. And it's been a, an incredibly powerful weekend of worship and of just uh, taking care of those that God's brought into our midst. And I tell you this because that's where I came from to come back this morning to preach. But I also tell you this because after I'm done preaching, before you go to communion, I'm going back. So if you wonder, it's not like where's Waldo, where's Pastor Chris? I went back, I'm going back to that to that retreat. So I didn't leave prematurely. I did. Uh, I have somewhere else that I need to get to. So I trust you'll understand. Okay. You know, we talk a lot in our lives about money. In many ways, in conversations, um, we we almost make money the end all be all. Want to have money? Need to have money? It's all about money. We say that in positive and negative terms. But I find more and more as a pastor. And even if I put that aside as a person, that as much as we talk about money, that actually the more precious commodity in our lives is in fact time. Time is even more precious of a commodity. And, you know, this gets expressed in the very way, way that we talk about time. I don't have enough time. Okay? I, look, I don't have the time. I'm running out of time. I can't find the time. You know, maybe I can I buy some time? No, I'm going to just try to steal some time. Think about how we talk about time, and it, it's, it's indicative of how precious it is as a commodity for us. And because it's so precious, because we speak in this way, this has led to a proliferation of courses and books on what else? Time management. Since the Industrial Revolution, not that long ago, our lives have revolved around that thing right there on the back wall, the clock. We even talk about this. Our lives are lived around the clock. Our lives have become organized around calendars, appointments, and schedules. And if you're like me, you got one of these little bad boys. Your whole life, right here. All my schedules, all my appointments, and I've set it up so they all sync to this, so that I know it, and it gives me alerts, and it'll buzz when something's going on, when I've missed something. 
I check this all the time. Because this, in many ways, is my life. Not the blank screen, if I put it on. Can you relate? And the byproduct of all this, the way we approach time, even represented by these kind of devices, is that time has become about our human effort. Time has become what we call as Lutherans a work, where we have convinced ourselves that we are the masters of our own destinies, and we try to control and manage time. Well, as we come to Exodus today, Exodus chapter 23, we come back to a series of chapters in Exodus, 21 through 23, that are known as the Covenant Code, or the Book of the Covenant. And these, in this, these last few weeks, we've looked at sample case law, all these different case laws, some of them bizarre, some of them really hard for us to understand. And what they represent are not an exhaustive list, but examples of putting the Ten Commandments into practice, living it out. And beyond the immediacy of how they speak into day-to-day -day life for Israel, we've talked about these last two weeks, how they speak into principles by which we can live by, how we can understand how God wants our lives to be organized. And today, as we come to Exodus 23, starting with verse 10, God, in the midst of our fixation, in the midst of our stress, is going to tell us how to tell time. I invite you to hear from Exodus 23, starting with verse 10. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what they leave. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive groves. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the slave born in your household, and the alien as well, may be refreshed. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty handed. Celebrate the feast of harvest with your first fruit of crops that you sow in your field. Celebrate the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. Three times a year all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. The fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm just going to say at the outset, you want to know about the goat, talk to me later. You ever noticed in this, all this talking about time that the Lord has set the schedule from the very beginning? We go back to the beginning of the book, our book. We go back to Genesis we see that God orders the universe by measurements of time. Creation is ordered by days, seven of them in fact. In that first seven-day segment of time, God purposefully distinguishes day and night. He sets the pace of the sun to mark off the hours of the day. The Lord goes even further than this as we're told he sets up a system of signs to mark seasons and years. The Lord creates the seasons and the repetition of years. So right from the outset, the beginning of the 360 view, we see that at its core, the calendar of our lives 
is not to be based on astronomical observations. It's not to be based upon seasonal change. It's not to be based upon productivity. The calendar of our lives is to be rooted in God's orderly work at creation. The Lord didn't just create a world and fill it with people to meander along aimlessly. The Lord, as we go back to the beginning, we are told we see created with a purpose. And he hardwired that purpose into all creation. And, and what the, 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 the meaning of that is, in that God not only creating with a purpose, but hardwiring that purpose into creation, is that we as a people and as creation are created to therefore be purposeful. To be full of the purposes of God. We are, my brothers and sisters, participants in the measured march of time. Days, nights, weeks, months, years. And when we hear that, most of us think, oh gosh, that sounds so boring and oppressive. But from God's standpoint, we are here for a reason. The Lord creates the oldest calendar based on the dawn of creation itself. And this is what... God is alluding to here in Exodus 23 when he comes out and reminds the people of Israel that the oldest calendar that goes back to the dawn of creation, the centerpiece of that calendar is the Sabbath. In many ways, the Sabbath is the first tangible manifestation of God's grace. Of course, God's grace is present in creating our world, our universe, creating us. But after that, the first gift of grace is the Sabbath. Because it all starts with nothing. Until God speaks it into being and it becomes something good. But then it ends with rest, which we're told is very good. So I don't know if you ever thought about this, but the, actually the very first work week was designed by the Lord. The very first work week was designed by God. For six days, he does all the work so that on the seventh day, there is rest. And I want to point something out that this is the only time that life is supposed to follow this pattern. Work in order to rest. Right from the start, God does all the work so that we can rest and out of our rest work. It's really important that we hear that because as we've talked about this before, we get it backwards. We invert it. We live our lives as though we work in order to rest. I got stuff to do. I got to get it done. If I get it done, then I'm going to rest. I can't rest until I finish. But at the beginning, God does all the work. So that we rest and out of that rest comes our work. This is what God is reminding the Israelites of. That as it was in the beginning, so it is in the middle of the story too. God did all the work in bringing them out of Egypt. God did the work of Exodus so that the people would rest. And in that freedom rest and out of that freedom would come their work. God speaks to the world, to us, that God did all the work through his son Jesus Christ. He takes all of it upon himself as we sing. He paid it all. He did all the work, defeating death, forgiving our sin, so that out of his resurrection, out of that rest, we would then work. So it is at the beginning and in the middle, so it will be at the end. As when Christ comes again, Christ will do all of the work so that we at last out of the work that Christ has done, can enter what the writer of the Hebrews calls our eternal rest. Our eternal rest in God, and out of that rest, we will do the work of eternity together. God does all the work so that we can rest, we can be recreated, recreation, recreated in order to work. I've repeated this several times, perhaps for some of you to the point of annoyance. 
Because as much as I can say it to myself, let alone to you, we forget it. We don't internalize it. And what God is laying out here for the Israelites quite clearly is that if we live any other way, if we don't understand the rhythm, the pattern, if we're not living the Sabbath, our lives are not dependent upon the Lord. If we are not living according to this rhythm, we are living according to a rhythm that is going to lead to death. That is why God says at the end, be careful to do exactly what I say. Don't put the names of other gods on your lips. And it's put here because God knows the first step towards those other gods, the first step towards pushing God away and living to a different rhythm begins when we tell ourselves, you know what, God hasn't done enough. God hasn't finished all the work, so I've got to take care of what's missing. I've got to fill in the gaps. The minute we speak, the minute we act that way, we are no longer in the rhythm of God's calendar. We're living according to a different rhythm. And we've talked about the Sabbath before, and often when we talk about the Sabbath, it's exactly where we are right now, that the Sabbath is about our resting in order to work. We talk about it in terms of our individual selves, and that's true. But what we also see here in Exodus, if you notice, is notice how God's reason for scheduling the Sabbath on our calendar what we read here is that the date is not set in stone for the sake of our own personal relationship with God. That's not the primary reason God puts the date down in stone. It's not written in ink on our agendas primarily for our personal benefit. Did you hear what God says to the people of Israel? The Sabbath is a God-given appointment for sharing grace. We've talked in these last few weeks about justice. If you want to know how to be a just people, if your head is swimming in all the things that we've talked about, God lays it out. Step one. To be a just people. Observe the Sabbath. Honor the appointment that I have given you of the Sabbath. Here is how you love your neighbor. If, it, if your head gets fixated on what does that look like? You love your neighbor by honoring the fact that one day in seven, one year in seven is set aside so that the least of these... Those who have fallen behind, those who have been left behind, those who have been forgotten can take a break, can get a breather, can catch up. Beloved, the Sabbath is our opportunity to show grace to other people, to share grace. How? By providing a means for others to be renewed, to be refreshed, to be recreated too. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but as Christians, our schedule, our calendar is supposed to bring refreshment to other people. We witness to the faith. We reflect Jesus. We give definition to grace when we practice the Sabbath. We are blessed. We are told to be a blessing. We are set apart, as we talked about last week, to serve. What does that tangibly look like? It begins by resting. By honoring the Sabbath. God sets the appointment for the Sabbath on our calendar. He doesn't leave it for us to figure it out. He puts it down on the calendar because he knows that if we practice rest and self-care, if we rest, if we take care of ourselves, then we will have the wherewithal to notice and be sensitive to whether or not our neighbor has rested, to whether our neighbor is cared for. 
And, it, and if you're watching it, I mean, it gets even bigger than this. The God's vision of the Sabbath, the Sabbath principle is even bigger than our neighbor. If you were paying attention, the blessing goes even further. The Sabbath principle, when it's honored, doesn't just bless our neighbor. It blesses the animal kingdom and the very land itself. This gracious demeanor that God seeks to provoke in us, this sharing of grace is intended for the benefit of all creation. Because God knows that if we're looking out for our neighbor, our provision for the rest of creation, the animals and land will naturally follow. And God knows, and this is why he puts it down in our calendar, that if we don't rest, if we don't stop, then we'll deny our neighbor's right to do the same. How many of us are so busy, are, have so much going on that when we look around at other people who aren't doing half as much as we're doing, we get very, very upset. They are so lazy. My gosh, look at, look at all that I'm carrying and look, they're doing nothing. They clearly don't know how to multitask. They clearly don't know how to be productive. And God says, no, that's not to be our orientation at all. The Lord orders our days so that our lives won't be out of sync in this way. So that we don't continue to say, but I just can't find the time. I'm sorry, I don't have the time. The Sabbath as a day is about not finding the time to love our neighbor, but about taking the time that God has given us to love our neighbor. We have a day set aside for this very purpose. The question is, are we honoring the time that we have? How many of us sit down and look at our calendar? When's the last time you sat down and looked at your calendar and asked, through your calendar, how can I be my brother's keeper? Earlier this summer, we preached on the Ten Commandments, and that was a line that kind of stuck. Stuck. I am my brother's keeper. So much so that Dave Nugent sitting right there made some T-shirts that a lot of guys are wearing. I am my brother's keeper, and it's awesome. But let's really put some specificity on it. When's the last time you looked at your calendar and looked at that calendar and said, how through my calendar can I be my brother's keeper, my sister's keeper? What coming up on your calendar, our calendar, goes beyond our own personal goals and interests? Sunday is a day set apart for us to love our neighbor. What about calling up that friend who you know is struggling and taking them to lunch? What about showing up on Sunday afternoon to our good news ministry? And feeding those who are homeless, those who are struggling in their lives. What about inviting people over for dinner? I, get, I gather you all eat on Sunday. Inviting people over for dinner. Maybe that newcomer to the church. Maybe that new person that moved in on your block. Maybe that person in your community who you know your sense is lonely. What about on Sunday going to visit our shut-ins? Or going to the care centers where many people are often feeling lonely? What about babysitting for that young couple that doesn't, you know doesn't have any family living around them? When's the last time that we looked at our calendars and said, how can I be my brother or sister's keeper? God gives us a day, but the Sabbath is more. The principle of the Sabbath extends beyond a day. I don't want you to just get fixated on Sunday because what God's trying to say to Israel is this is more than a day. It's an orientation for living. And the way that we live out the Sabbath in terms of loving our neighbor, is looking at the biggest chunk of where we spend our time. Our vocation, our jobs. Do you see your job? Do you understand your job as God's calling, that God has placed you in a place where you are able to serve others, that your job is a means for you to share grace? Or are you like most people, that you are pretty cranky when it comes to your job? It's my job. My job. 
I work, yes. Great. There's no grace in my work. It's just a job. Is your line of work just a job? Is where God has placed you just about meeting your personal goals? Is it just about making money? Is it just about getting recognition? Or is it possible that God has placed you in whatever field you're in, any field you're in, for a reason? That through working with integrity, through being dedicated and bringing your best efforts where God has placed you in this world, that you are improving the quality of life for your neighbor. You are sharing grace. That is what God is trying to teach the people of Israel. That the Sabbath is more than a day. It begins with a day, but it's an orientation for living. It's a way for us to share grace, to reveal God by loving our neighbor. If you've been with us these last couple of weeks, you know that we were breaking up the sermon with the normal parts of our worship service to provide a space for reflection, but also to appreciate how all of this fits together. There's an insert in your bulletin, and I want to encourage you in the just brief moments that you have to reflect on the first two questions. They'll also be on the screen. Reflect on these questions as a means of entering into a prayer of confession, which is what we do as part of our worship, laying ourselves before God. We'll only have a few moments, but the hope here is that what you begin to reflect on and converse about with the Lord is something that carries beyond this service, maybe in a conversation that you share with another person. The questions are these. What is the typical schedule of your life? What is the typical schedule of your life? And who or what is driving that schedule? And how can you better utilize the time you have been given, the time you have been given to tangibly share God's grace with others? And allow the answer to that question to be specific, not general. Let's take a few moments, reflect, offer our lives before this God, and then this time will be closed out with a prayer of confession for us all. Gracious God, we acknowledge as individuals in a community before you that we have restlessness in us. We have an attraction to rhythms of life that aren't driven by grace, but are driven by our fears often driven by our lack of trust that you have abundant and good life for us. So as we acknowledge before you our restlessness and all the ways that our slavery to our calendars, our watches, our clocks, our schedules, our to-do lists has, has not only distanced us from you, but but from each other and from those that you are calling us to bless. We ask that you reorient our hearts, reorient our minds, our spirits, refocus us on the life 
lived out of Sabbath rest that you are making available to us. Draw us through your grace and mercy out of chains into freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first couple of verses in what we read deal with this Sabbath principle. The Sabbath is the gift of time. It's a divine appointment that the Lord has etched into the very fabric of all creation. And if we do the math, one day in seven per week, one year in seven years set apart equals rest and recreation. Not only for us, but also for our neighbor. Both go hand in hand. And it's more than an equation, more than just a day or a year. The Sabbath is to be the organizing principle of our lives. It's the means for keeping our lives in sync. So that we don't have to make time, but rather take the time we have been given to share God's gifts, his grace with others. Okay. But what if you're like me? What if you're like me and you're a type A personality? And all this talk of sharing grace, very quickly, you're able to just turn it into and make your life into one just big giant to-do list. I'm sharing grace with everybody. I'm sharing. i got to share grace with this person. You know this is where we go. If you're that kind of person, you're going to hear this and you're going to just come up with, I'm just not doing enough. I'm not sharing enough grace. I haven't. Oh, my gosh, that list that Pastor Chris gave, I haven't even gotten to the bottom of that list. I heard that list and I thought I have to do every single one of those. How do we avoid making people into projects? How do we avoid not just becoming stressed out by grace? That's where the second half comes in. The second half of what we read in this series of holy festivals that's to be observed by Israel. These annual holy days, holidays, holy days, holidays, were the big events of the year. Like the Sabbath, these were God-given appointments that needed to be on everyone's annual agenda. We're going to look at them real quick. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread remembers the Exodus. It includes the Passover feast. Israel remembers that God chose her, that God redeemed her because of his promise. The second, the Feast of the Harvest. It's later called the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament, but you might know it in the New Testament as Pentecost. The Feast of the Harvest is the celebration of first fruits. At the very beginning of the agricultural cycle, when the seeds are being planted, Israel remembers that God is our provider. The Lord is the one who gives us all good gifts in the first place, so we give back to him right from the start. And then the Feast of Ingathering rejoices in God's sustaining providence. It's later called the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's very similar to the Feast of the Harvest, but it comes at the end of the agricultural cycle. When the harvest comes... When the crops are there, Israel remembers that God always carries us home. That God always completes the cycle of his provision. And this feast specifically remembers God's provision for Israel all the way through the wilderness into the promised land. That God always brings the harvest. That the seeds are never planted in vain. Three celebrations with one purpose. Feasting on grace. With the Sabbath, God schedules regular times for us to give grace. 
But here we see with these festivals, these holidays, these holy days, that God also provides specific opportunities for us to receive grace. That's what holy days, that's what holidays are supposed to be all about. Remembering, recognizing, and receiving God's grace to us. They're built into our calendars by God as regularly scheduled times to just revel, to revel, to party, to celebrate God's grace. Whether it's remembering his great acts of deliverance and salvation on our behalf or it's remembering his most basic common acts of putting food on our table, people in our lives and so much more. God gives us the time. He schedules it for us. He gives us the chance to just stop and celebrate to feast on God's provision and presence. Now, holidays, I say holidays, holy days maybe, holidays, we hear holidays and some of us can feel like this kind of planning ties us down. We might perceive this kind of commitment that's being asked of us as not as a gift, but more of an obligation. I mean, that's what for most of us holidays have become, right? We're about to enter that stretch of a couple of holidays back to back and people aren't going, oh man, I'm going to feel so rested. I'm going to receive so much grace. We're like, oh my gosh, do you understand Halloween's coming and then Thanksgiving and then Christmas? And it doesn't reduce our stress, it elevates our stress. Even more so than everyday life because it's all stuff we got to do and all these things we got to accomplish and my gosh, it's just too much. And that's why some of us have started to rebel against holidays, haven't we? Valentine's Day. Why do I need someone to tell me with, uh, to have a day to tell someone I love them? I don't need a specific day to tell them I love them. They know I love them. I'm rebelling against Valentine's Day. You know what? I'm just going to spontaneously, as the Spirit leads me, choose to let someone know I love them. I don't need Hallmark telling me I need a day to tell that person I love them. Pick your holiday. We're not celebrating Christmas when all that stuff's going on. We're, we have gifts all the time. We're not going to, we remember Jesus all the time. The heck with Christmas. We'll do it our own time. Why do we have to have a specific time when we do Christmas? Christmas in July. Some of us get to that place where holidays are so stressful that we just want to be free, you know? And, and then if we're a Christian, we spiritualize. I just want to be led by the Spirit, you know? I don't want to be tied down. Because, you know, Jesus never lived according to a schedule. Jesus never had a calendar, right? Hmm. In fact, he did. If you read the Gospels, it's quoted by all four writers on more than one occasion that Jesus often went up to the synagogue or the temple at the appointed time. Huh. And he's always mentioned at being at the appointed feasts each year. What this tells us is that Jesus paid attention to the time. To time the way that God tells us. He paid attention to what month it was. And he, in fact, started heading out to Jerusalem when he was ready to go to the cross, when it was the time of the Passover. And so, all of a sudden, this argument gets turned around on us because, you know, if Jesus planned his life around the Lord's calendar, shouldn't we? You see, these holidays that God's laid out for Israel and the ones that we've recreated in our own time out of what God has provided for us, they're not just about a call to religious observance. They're not just about tradition for the sake of tradition, keeping up tradition. God's plan, God's desire is to let grace set the schedule of our lives. He wants us to let his provision and our trust in his provision to form our community. And if his provision 
alone, and our trust in that provision forms our community, then that distinguishes us from the world around us. That's the means of our witness. Many of us struggle with evangelism. It ain't that hard. It begins by entering into the time that God has given us. God's given us time to party. You want to evangelize? Party. Celebrate grace. Because being the people of God means that we share grace and we receive it. Because when we share it and when we receive it, grace is more than a word. It becomes real. It's something that people can see. It's something they can experience. In putting specific and certain events on our calendar, the Lord is giving us time. Time that we again and again convince ourselves we lack. Why work for this God? Because the Lord's benefits package is amazing. Long-term vacation planning. Some of you have to fight to get time off at work, and God's scheduling it in there. Take a vacation. Take a holiday. God is giving us time to receive grace. And so God, you heard it in Exodus, in giving these holy days, these holidays, says, hey, don't let anybody come before me empty-handed. Now, we hear this, and we automatically think, oh, God means we got to bring something. And that, yeah, God wants us to come and bring something. But let's step back, okay? If God's the provider of everything we have, we're not bringing anything that God doesn't already have. It's not like God goes, oh, that piece of china, I don't have one of those. That's great. There's nothing we bring to God that God doesn't have. So why does God say, let no one come before me empty-handed? Well, maybe it's this. Maybe the way we can enter into this to appreciate what God means when he says, don't come empty-handed, is how most of us approach holidays and how most of us approach vacations. Don't most of us, when a holiday's coming up, don't most of us, when we're going to take some vacation, don't we enter into those spaces so depleted, so exhausted, so out of gas? We're so depleted and exhausted out of gas that we have a habit of saying, how was your vacation? Well, it took me a couple of days to actually be on vacation. When the Lord says, don't come before me empty-handed, he is saying, don't come before me depleted. Don't come before me exhausted. Don't come before me with nothing left in the tank. And that doesn't mean we can't come with our needs. But what God is saying is, out of the grace I have given you, bring the best that you have to offer from that grace. Offer it to me. And the reason why we come, not with empty hands, but with full hands, is because God takes that grace that we have shared, and in taking it, pours more grace into our lives. Bring your best, and I'm going to give you even better. Once again, God does all the work so that we can rest. And out of that rest, we can share grace and then receive grace. I honestly don't plan this, but I can't think of a better time to take the offering. Once again, here we are, because that's what the offering is all about. The offering is not about oh, put something in the plate. The offering is a reflection of our lives. It's a reflection of our opportunity to bring our best, what's the best that our lives have to offer, to give to God the grace that we have shared, and in the giving to receive the grace that God seeks to pour into our lives. And so I encourage you, as the ushers are going to come forward, as the praise team is going to offer us a song, to reflect in that, in the giving. Reflect of what you're also receiving. There's questions, again, too, for you to think about. How much of your life, how much of your life is just a big to-do list? rather than a celebration of grace. And as we are approaching that season, are you working for the holidays? Or are you being shaped by the holy days? 
Are you working for the holidays or are you being shaped by the holy days? Reflect, commune with God, let us take the offering together. Consuming fire, burning holy flame with power and freedom. And our God is the only righteous judge, ruling over us with kindness and wisdom. We will set our eyes on you. Set our eyes on you. The mighty fortress is our God. A sacred refuge is your name. Your kingdom is unshakable. his own none could comprehend his love and his mercy and our God is exalted on his throne high above the heavens forever he is worthy we will keep our eyes is our God, a sacred refuge is your name, your kingdom is unshakable. Consuming fire, 
a burning holy flame with glory and freedom and our God is the only righteous judge ruling over us with kindness and wisdom some of you are still probably thinking I just don't have time, Pastor Chris. Please don't tell me this is the word of the Lord. I don't have time. And if that's you, once again, here's the point. Time is exactly what you have. When we let grace become the rhythm of our lives, when we let grace set the schedule, we have all the time we need. The question then is, what are we going to do with the time that we have been given? I know that all of you know this, but again, this is one of those things that cannot be said enough because it continues to be an epidemic, not just in our own community, but in, throughout our humanity. Our overcrowded lives and our stressed out calendars tell a story about us. And it's not a good one. The pace of our lives the schedule that we keep is one of the most honest indicators of where our priorities lie, of in what or whom we place our final trust. There's no getting around it. In many ways, our first rebellion against this God, what we call original sin, was rooted in this assumption that time belongs to us. From the very beginning, Adam's defiance was a denial that our life is a gift of God. Right from the start, Adam's disobedience was a rejection of God as the goal, the center of all proper living in this world that he made. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, we repeat this defiance. We repeat this rejection every time we either approach life as though we are free spirits to do with whatever we want, that our lives are our own to the point of what we might call laziness, that we can live for the immediate pleasure of whatever comes our way and we are accountable to no one. We are reliving that defiance and that rejection. Or when we put ourselves in bondage to the tyranny of the urgent. When we put ourselves in bondage to the tyranny of the urgent, becoming slaves to our schedules, filling them with activities and to-do lists, all because we believe that we are the masters of our own destinies, that we've got to prove ourselves, we are defying and rejecting this God. We are saying the opposite of what we sang before this sermon, that God, your grace is not enough. Beloved, this God that we worship in Jesus Christ weaves himself into the very time that we live upon the earth. In, what, in many ways, one way to think about it, salvation is God's interruption of our master calendar. Salvation is God's interruption of our master calendar. In Christ, God interrupts all of our self-serving, self-defeating plans and ambitions. Jesus takes all the chaos, all the confusion, all the stress, all the running in circles that comes from those self-defeating, self-serving plans and ambitions that are all represented individually by us, and he allows the tyranny of the urgent, he allows our lack of time for him to nail him to a cross. And he takes it with him into the grave. 
until at the appointed time. On the third day, he breaks forth from the tomb and through his resurrection, he reintroduces the appointment of the Sabbath onto the calendar of our lives. But this time it's not written in ink. It's not written in stone. It's written in blood. Let us let go of the tyranny of the urgent. Let us come to reflect and live into the rhythm of grace. Jesus frees us from the insecurity of trying to prove ourselves through our completed to-do lists. Jesus releases us from the exhaustion of overbooked and underused planners from working so hard to justify our existence. And this is because the Lord desires us to move us toward the place where all of our life, not just an hour on Sunday morning, all of our life is conceived as worship toward Him, where worship of Him is the daily agenda of our lives. And that's why the first day of the week in the church is called the Lord's Day. The first day of the week is blocked off on our calendars not to perform a religious duty. I hope that's not why you're here this morning. Went to church, check. Watch football, check. I hope you're here to experience the rhythm of grace. And this is the rhythm of grace. God frees us, forgives us, gives us life, hope, and a future, and then trains and equips us to live now in, that, in and out of that grace, to share it in love to others. That's why we come here to be reoriented, to, to experience that grace and to share it. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, let us live according to the time we have been given. Out of the grace that is both ours to receive and to share, let us rest in the assurance of our forgiveness and the promise of our resurrection so that out of that space, we can work together in extending these gifts, in celebrating them, with those who are victims of the clock, slaves to the calendar, bound by the tyranny of the urgent. We come here to hear Christ proclaimed, to be reminded again of God's grace. We come to celebrate around the Lord's table, to feast on God's grace together, word and sacrament together, a basic liturgy of song, scripture, praying, preaching, and communion in community doing what our mothers and fathers have done for ages past. Something historic, something set apart, because that pattern, that grace, is to be the rhythm of our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen.